I don't know about you, but when I hear these stories from our partners of things that are, are going on, and having traveled to various places and have met individuals who have experienced firsthand this persecution, my heart goes out to them. And I think sometimes with us in America, we have the attitude, well, none of that will ever happen here within our country. Well, it could happen here as well. And that's why I want to encourage each and every one of you, if you have not already voted, to vote this year, to vote on Tuesday. If you need a ride to the polls, uh, our staff is more than willing to offer you uh, that ride to see that you get there. And when you vote, vote biblical values. Okay, back to the book of Proverbs this morning. So take your uh, Bibles with me and turn to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, 6. We've been on this journey through the book of Proverbs where we're looking at various different topics. And with the book of Proverbs, it's not like you can just take a, a section and work right through it because the way it is written, it is a collection of these statements of wisdom. And this morning, we are going to talk about wisdom in the area of parents and in the area of children. I don't know who this quote was associated or accredited to, but I think any of us that have raised children uh, will see the truth of it. But someone once said, I once had no children and six theories on child raising. Now I have six children and no theories on child raising. You know, all of us as parents have struggled, as parents or as, as grandparents, in that role in knowing what to do. You know, it is much easier to speak in the area of parenting if your children are grown and if they have turned out well. Now, that's a picture of our family, including the six grandkids that was taken a couple years ago. And God has blessed Barb and me that we have two children that we are very proud of and that we have a wonderful relationship with. Now, the two that are ours are the two that are on the very end. Uh, all the way over on the right is our son, Brian, and on the far left is our daughter, Heather. And we have been blessed as well in that we have a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law that we love as much as our children. And that is a blessing. That's a blessing if you have that situation. Uh, not too long ago, our son-in-law made the statement he says, I really think uh, Butch and Barb love their son-in-law and daughter-in-law maybe even a little bit more than they love their children. Now, <laughs> that's not true, but 
the reality is we have been blessed. And if you know that blessing, that is great. And so this morning, as we're going to look in God's Word, I realize I'm talking to people that uh, you're here, you're rejoicing because of your family situation. And there are others here who are grieving because of their family situations. And it is my desire that we will all get some hope and some encouragement from the Word of God. Now we're going to start with probably the most famous verse in the Bible when it comes to the raising of children. Proverbs 22, 6. You'll see it up there on the screen. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. We're going to talk first of all about the responsibility of parents. As parents, we are to train up our child in the way he should go. Now, this is not, once again, let me share, it is a proverb. It is not an absolute promise. There is no guarantee that if you do this, that your children will end up godly. But there is the probability, the high probability, that if you do this, the result will be that your child will not depart from it when he grows old. Could you bring up the next slide, please? The next slide there. All right. So there you see the verse. Now, there are two parts to this that I want to talk about. The first one is the word uh, train up a child. The word that's used for train up is the word that you might use for giving food to a child who's incapable of getting it themselves. It is the providing of that nourishment that they need. Uh, the, the Hebrew women would take very little pieces of food and place it right into the mouths of their small children. That's the root word for this train up a child. Uh, Barb and I were reminiscing this week. We were up uh, a little over an hour away from home, and we remembered years ago when our granddaughter Carson, we had her with us. She was a baby, and we're this hour and 15 minutes away from home, and we realized we had left her formula at home. So it was time for her to eat. And as most babies do, she let us know that it was time for her to eat. So what, what could we do? We weren't going to make her wait an hour and 15 minutes, you know, turn around, drive home, and then come back. So we found a grocery store. We went in. We, we bought a bottle. We bought formula. And we went into a restaurant and asked if we could get some, some hot water so that we could warm the formula up. And we placed it within her mouth. That's the root of what this term means. To train up. To provide direction and nourishment for your child. To meet their needs. Train up a child in the way he should go. Now, the idea of the way he should go has to do with the bent of the child. 
We don't come into this world neutral. If you've had more than one child, have you noticed they can be different from one another? Sometimes radically different from one another. So the challenge for us as parents is to understand our child, to understand their bent. How has God made them? How has God created them? What abilities has he given to them? And train them up in the way that they should go. Now, this often uh, is a struggle for parents, especially if their child is not wired the way the parent is. So, for instance, if you are a big sports person, maybe you were an athlete, you know, uh, maybe you were the star on the football team, and God gives you a son that's a musician, (laughs) that likes to play music, and likes to paint, and hates sports, I find that fathers can sometimes have a real problem with that. Don't try to relive your glory days. Believe me, they weren't as glorious as you think they were. (laughs) Or don't try to pressure your son in this area where you have a lot of desire, but he doesn't. The, the same things happen with, uh, with children, with, with girl children, in that sometimes they are wired in a way, you know, mom wants them to, to go that, that way of the cheerleader, you know, that way of uh, the, the person, maybe it's in the performing arts or something, wants them to go in that way, but they're wired to play softball. And we struggle when our children don't have exactly the same bent that we have. What the passage is telling us is we need to study our children, know our children, and raise them according to the way that God has wired them with abilities, the way that God has wired them with their likes and their dislikes, Train up a child in the way he should go, according to his path, according to the way God has made them. And all the while we are doing that, we are doing it in a godly way, because notice the rest of the verse. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The great probability, not a promise, but the great probability is If you nourish your child in training him, if you provide them the guidance that they need, if you do that according to the way that God has wired them, when they're old, they will not depart from it. So our first responsibility as parents is to train up a child in the way he should go. Our second responsibility is to discipline your child. We are to discipline our children. 
Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. All right, children, flash for you. Your parents discipline you because they love you. If they didn't love you, they wouldn't discipline you. God loves us, and so God disciplines his children. If you are a true child of God, at some point in your walk, you will be disciplined by God because God loves you too much to let you go down the wrong road. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God loves you, and he loves you so much. And he is going to make that very apparent to you as he reaches out to you with love and kindness and discipline to get you to hear him and to obey him. When we love, we discipline. So, parents, you discipline your children because you love them. We see that again in chapter 13, verse 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his child, hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Whoever spares the rod. Now we're going to have to talk about the rod for a moment. And I realize some of what I'm about to say is not politically correct today. The book of Proverbs, when it talks about the rod, it is synonymous with discipline. Now, you can discipline without using the rod. There are lots of different ways that you can discipline your children. And there are places in the Scripture where the, the word uh, for discipline is synonymous with using a rod, with spanking. Now, I want to make it clear here, very clear, that we are not talking about abusing a child, but we are talking about spanking. And there are times when it is appropriate. Notice what he says. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Let me speak to those of you, and I know that you're here in our congregation, that you're just inside, you're gasping right now. The pastor said we should spank our children. That goes against everything we have been told by the psychologists. And I am not, hear me very carefully. I am not saying the only form of discipline you should use is the rod. You should use what is appropriate. For instance, we found that once our kids reached 16, you know what the most appropriate discipline was? Here's the car keys. You have a choice. You want to use the car? Then you're going to do these things. So there are multiple. We've used time out before with, with children. I can remember the first time that we had to put our grandson in the time out at our home. 
We were in the kitchen. He, we put him over in the dining room in a chair by himself. And as he was sitting there, this is what we heard. Is there anybody out there? I want you to know I'm in here. Hey, can you hear me out there? Uh, so, there are different forms of discipline, and it doesn't always have to be spanking. Save the spanking for major rebellion on the part of your child. But find out what is effective in dealing with your children, because if we fail to discipline them, we are saying that we don't love them, but that we actually, the word that is used comparison-wise is the word hates. Uh, Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Well, what's this mean, putting him to death? The parent's going to put him to death? No. What it means is, if you have a child that is undisciplined, he is going to walk down, in many cases, a dangerous path that can result in his death. Discipline your children. Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen. Folly, foolishness, is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Once again, our children are going to have foolishness bound up in their hearts. We need to use discipline to drive it from him. Proverbs 29, 17. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Do you want your children to bring joy into your life? When your children are grown, do you want them to be a source of happiness and rejoicing by you? Then discipline your children. And then in Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. This is the importance of our disciplining our children. Now, parents, there's another responsibility that we have. And that is a responsibility that as parents and grandparents, we are to leave an inheritance for your children and grandchildren. We are to leave an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Remember last week we talked about money right? And remember, we talked about we're not taking it with us. We didn't bring it with us when we came into the world, and we'll not take it with us when we leave this world. So a good man manages his, his money in such a way that he is leaving money for his children's children. So that is also a responsibility for us as parents. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the choices for children. And I want to talk about this issue 
of parents who are beating themselves up and are filled with guilt because the path their children have taken. Because the book of Proverbs speaks to this as well. And parents, if you're here, or grandparents, and, and you are really grieving over these things, I want you to recognize that our children make their choices. And it is not all your fault. Consider this, first of all. There's only been one perfect parent, right? That perfect parent is God. And God took two children and put them in a perfect environment called the Garden of Eden. He provided everything for them. He made no mistakes whatsoever in communicating with his kids or in working with his kids. And yet, what did they do? They rebelled against him. Was that God's fault? Was it God's fault? The answer is no. It is the choices that they made. Children choose the path that they will go down. And let me speak to some of you who are still blaming mom and dad for your issues in your life. Uh, sometimes I have in my office people who are 40, 50 years old, and they talk to me about how their whole life has been ruined by mommy and daddy. And I say, at what point do you become responsible for your actions? I would generally think that at 40 years old, a person should be responsible for their own actions at that point in time. And the scriptures are going to talk about the choices that children make. Hear me this morning. One of the, the things that we look at and don't quite understand at times, is why we will have children that come out of a very godly home that rebel against the Lord. And then we look at someone else who came out of a very ungodly home, but they are walking with and serving the Lord. Well, that's consistent with what we find in Scripture. Eli, who was a high priest, had two godless sons. Now, God doesn't blame him for his godless sons, but God blames him for not restraining them in their actions as they were priests. Samuel, the prophet, having been raised by Eli, has sons that were wicked. Nowhere do the scriptures say that their wickedness was because of bad parenting on the part of Samuel. Now, it could have been, but the scriptures do not blame Samuel for his sons that didn't walk with the Lord. Jehoshaphat, who was a very godly king, had a father that was godly. Ahaziah, who was a wicked king, was the parent of Ahab, and Ahab and his wife Jezebel were very wicked. 
But we have Asa in the Old Testament that he was a righteous man, but his father, Abijam, was a wicked man. We have Ahaz of Judah, who was a wicked, who was a righteous man, but his son, Jotham, was a righteous man. So there's no direct correlation that says, if you are righteous, your children will be righteous. If you are wicked, your children will be wicked. There is no direct correlation to that. Now, we are not saying that there is not the probability that we find within the book of Proverbs. But what we are seeing is that if we are consistent in serving the the Lord, if we are disciplining our children and being the parent that God has called us to be, there is no guarantee that our children will also be righteous. Because what we have is children making their own choices. For instance, the choices for children. The first is you are to listen and obey. Proverbs 1, 8 and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and penance for your neck. So there is the appeal for a son to do what? To listen. There is the appeal to not forsake your mother's teaching, indicating that what? They have a choice to either listen or not listen. Proverbs 3, verses 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Right? The father is appealing to his son that he not forget his teaching, meaning what? That he might. He might choose not to obey that teaching. He might choose not to obey those commandments. But the appeal is, listen, obey, that your days may be longer. You know, this is a promise that's talked about in Ephesians chapter 6 in verses 1 to 4, where we're told to honor our father and mother, and we are told it is the commandment with promise, and that it will go well with us, and that we may have long life in the end. Well, what's it talking about? Does every righteous person have long life? No. But the probability is, if we follow the commands and the instructions of our parents, they're going to be telling us Good things to do, not bad. They're not going to tell you go out and play in the street. They're going to tell you what? Stay out of the street. If we listen, if you decide you're going to play in the street anyway, the probability of you getting hit by a car is much higher than if you stay out of the street. So that's the commandment with promise. Proverbs 4.1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. And be attentive that you may gain insight. Proverbs 13, 1. A wise son hears his father's instruction. 
But a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Proverbs 23, 22. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. So one, listen and obey. Two, receive instruction. Receive instruction. Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves discipline, let that sink in for a moment, because normally we don't say we love discipline, right? Uh, we, we would normally say someone disciplining us is something that we are not really fond of. But when we recognize that it is being done for our good, it should change our perspective. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof, he who hates the fact that when he is doing something wrong, he hates someone telling him that what he is doing is wrong. He who hates reproof is what? I'm about to use the S word in here. He's stupid. (laughs) Barb's a teacher, so every now and then she has a, a student that comes to her and says, so-and-so used the S word. And so she has to ask, what S word did they use? You can, you can just whisper it to me. You don't need to say it out loud. And more often than not, with her first graders, it's, he said stupid. Now, and I know some of you in your homes, you have that rule, nobody's allowed to call anybody else stupid in the family, and that's okay. Uh, we don't use this word a lot. We didn't use it a lot when our kids were growing up, but I would say if the shoe fits, wear it. He who hates reproof is stupid. I didn't say that, the Bible said it. So don't get mad at me, get mad at God, get mad at Solomon, who said it. So receive instruction that is given to you. And then thirdly, to those of you who are children here, bring joy to your parents. Bring joy to your parents. Proverbs 10.1. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Children, even grown children, listen to me. It shouldn't be your quest in life to bring grief to your parents. It should be to bring joy. You should not be seeking to bring sorrow to your parents, but to bring joy to them. I hope you see here this morning the balanced approach that the Scriptures take. The balanced approach of these Proverbs in that, one, as parents we have responsibilities that we are to carry out. But on the other hand, there is the responsibility of the children to receive instruction and to follow it. So, 
Let me speak to you in ways that we can apply this truth. Number one, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have one who desires to be your heavenly father. You can become a child of God by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he will love you, he will provide for you, he will instruct you, he will reprove you, he will bring discipline into your life. Two, if you're here and you are a parent, train up your children and discipline. And if you are older and your children have gone astray, quit heaping so much guilt upon yourself. This is something I deal with a lot in the counseling room. Parents who are filled with guilt over the path that their children have taken. Several years ago, I was in a a session with a family counselor. He was a professor. And someone asked him, a question about children, and he made this, this statement that I've never forgotten. He said, you know, my experience has been when our children turn out well, we take way too much credit for it. And when our children turn out bad, we take way too much blame for it. So bring that balance. None of us have been perfect in raising our children. But if your child is not walking with the Lord today, please, if he has grown, quit beating yourself up over the mistakes that you have made. I am sure you did the best that you could do at that particular time. And if you sinned in some way, God has forgiven you if you've come to him and asked him for that forgiveness. And then children, obey your parents. And if you are grown, quit blaming everybody else for the problems in your life and accept responsibility of choosing not to follow, and to walk down the road of wisdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the principles that we find in your word. Pray, Father, that you would help us, that we would walk with you, we would honor you, we would serve you. We pray that you would give us godly families. We pray that we might be faithful in teaching your word to our children and grandchildren. We pray, Lord, as well, that you would give us a godly nation that would be based upon godly families. And Father, we pray for us as a church that we might be faithful in proclaiming your word, that we might hear your word and be more than hearers of your word, that we might be doers of your word. For this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.